Shout out to Clarity for supporting this episode and providing us with the samples. I've been battling allergies for years now. Let me tell you, they've been a real ordeal in my life. Luckily for those of us who live with the symptoms of allergies, we can live Claritin clear with Claritin D. This double action combination of prescription strength allergy medicine and the best decongestant available release sneezing, a runny nose, itchy and watery eyes, an itchy nose and throat, and sinus congestion and pressure with ease. Fast and powerful relief is just a quick trip away. Find Claritin D at the pharmacy counter. Ask for Claritin D at your local pharmacy counter. You don't even need a prescription. Go to ClaritinD.com right now for a discount so you can live Claritin clear. Use as directed. At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible, because we're already doing it, all while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. It changes your entire lifestyle. It changes your focus. It's something that involves your family as well. And it is a huge feat to undertake, but it is just amazing. And the people who make it, you know, about maybe half the people make it, but the ones who don't make it are the ones who just haven't done the right prep. What's up, guys? Welcome to The Greatness Machine. I'm your host, Darius Mershaz, and I'm so pumped to have you here with me. Now, listen, The Greatness Machine is about two things. Number one, people are living their passions. And number two, those who are creating greatness in the world. Doing both of these despite the odds against them. Each episode, we're going to feature interviews of world-class speakers and business leaders showcasing their origin story, what made them tick, what got them to where they are now, so it can help you step into your greatness within your own life, business, and career. Occasionally, you might hear a few solo episodes from myself, moi, as I say, as I leverage my 20 years in entrepreneurship as a CEO to help you grow and level up in your journey to scale your life and your business. So come be a fly on the wall, enjoy the conversation and messages, and I'm stoked to have you guys here. Man, just, you know, living life here in Australia. Oh, well, dude, welcome to The Greatness Machine. I'm your host, Darius Mershazde. And man, boy, or do we have a badass motherfucker in store for you. My boy, Sam Penny, is here. So glad to connect with you, my friend. Man, I'm pumped. This is going to be cool. I'm looking forward to this chat. Dude, I, I am too. This is You guys don't know this. This is a reunion. I haven't talked to this man in about 12 years. So that's my favorite part of the show is when I have my reunions and me and Sam are reconnecting <laughs> live for you guys. So, as I said before, you know, we do have a very special guest. Uh, we're half a world apart. Uh, what is it? It's like eight o'clock in the morning, seven o'clock in the morning. 830 here in the morning. Yeah. 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 You're, you're, yeah, you're so a little bit too early for Soundgarden, though. <laughs> Never too early for Soundgarden. <laughs> but guys, uh, so, yeah, we are so lucky to have my friend Sam here. Sam's a serial entrepreneur, CEO and head cheesemonger at Cheese Therapy. And he is the 191st Australian in the world to swim across the English Channel. So I'm so excited to hear all about that. And then some, how are you doing, man? It's been a while. Yeah, I know. I can't believe it's 12 years. I didn't realize it was that long. It feels like it was only maybe a couple of years ago that uh, we caught up in Boston. And what a blast that was, huh? Dude, I can't believe it. Actually, you know what's funny is that Facebook fucks with you a little bit because you see people as they're doing their things, right? And then you're like, 
oh no, it's been that long. And I'm like, no, it's been a decade and two years. I haven't actually like chatted with you live because we're sitting here commenting on stuff and stuff like that. So yeah, no, it's seems like yesterday we were at MIT learning and growing our businesses. And here we are a decade later and a lot of things have changed in both of our lives. But man, so you you were in a previous, like private prior to the cheese business, you were in, um, I believe it was like a health marketing business. Isn't that correct? Yeah, it was a medical device company. So uh, we we were basically a B2C business. We created a, a technology that um, basically improves circulation in your legs. Awesome for postmenopausal women. So I used to get fan mail every week from <laughs> from postmenopausal women. Nice. It was, it, was, it was a heap of fun though. Like we we just kicked some serious goals. We are uh, we were in about a third of the pharmacies here in Australia. It was an awesome business. Oh, that's so cool. Did you sell the business or exit it? Yeah, we sold that and uh, then sort of went on to try some other things. But like sort of like all good entrepreneurs, we have some failures. Um, My next sort of thing after that was a a mistake. Uh, But also at the same time, I learned a lot about myself and my, uh, my shortcomings, which I was then able to, I guess, avoid in the future. So I don't want to pry, but a lot of entrepreneurs, like the dream of most entrepreneurs is to build the business and sell it. And then, and then I think a lot of people think that they're like, oh yeah, when that happens, I'm just going to go and hang out. But the reality is the energy that got you to become an entrepreneur, that doesn't just like go, that doesn't go and start drinking beers on the beach the next day. That, that energy is there and it wants to do something. And you're like, you don't have that machine of your old business anymore. So now you're hunting for that next thing. Is that what happened with you more or less? Oh, yeah, exactly. And, you know, when you've got a sale coming up, you know that it's going to happen in, say, a month, two months' time. You're already sort of planning those next steps. And like you say, as an entrepreneur, you can't sit still. You need to keep moving because you just have this insatiable appetite for energy and to keep going. And, um, you know, sort of what I love about entrepreneurship is that it's such a creative space to be in. You're using so many aspects of, you know, your mental state, um, your physical state, you know, the amount of hours that you've got to put in, you know, really just drives you to all hours of the day of the night, but also, you know, stretching your mind as far as it can go, moving into new parts that you just didn't think uh, you were capable of, um, learning the entire time new skills. It's, yeah, entrepreneurship is, you know, for me, I just absolutely friggin' love it. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm with you. It's amazing. And to see what you've done, which is you're in the healthcare space and then, you know, the medical device space, you exited that business. And then when you started going and like, how did you end up in the cheese business? That's such a different business. Like, I mean, like, who, like how do you end up at cheese when you start off in like postmenopausal, <laughs> you know, like medical device? Yeah, yeah. Um- Yes, it's a very good question that I get asked at least two, three times a week. And uh, you know the small Pacific Island country of Vanuatu? Heard of Vanuatu? I've before? heard of it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Tiny, yeah. tiny nation. Uh, third world country. It was owned co jointly by the French and the English. And Helen, my partner, and I just got absolutely so drunk on Vanuatu for an entire week with a couple of friends. Uh, and the, the English did. Didn't do much for that country, but I'll tell you what the French did because the French established a supermarket there, Au Bon Marché, and uh, the supermarket had has this massive 
champagne section. So we, I love champagne. And oh, yeah. champagne is my spirit animal. Oh, really? Uh, <laughs> I love it. And uh, we were just drinking all these different champagnes every single day. But what it also had was this massive long cheese cabinet about sort of you know, five, ten metres long. And it was jam-packed full of amazing French cheeses, just stuff that I've never seen, smelt, tasted before. So every day we're having great champagne but also having these really unique French cheeses. And when we came back to Australia, we just thought, you know, let's, you know when you go on holidays, you want to recreate little parts of your holidays that brought you so much pleasure. So we went out uh, to get some cheese. But then we realised that we've lost that deli and cheesemonger culture here in Australia. Everything's very much dominated here in Australia by two giant supermarkets. And because of the supermarkets, that you know, these two supermarkets have about 80% share in this country. So the produce that goes through there is just, it's all mass produced. It really is quite flavorless. Uh, you know, has a shelf life on it that's sort of two months long, uh, which for cheese is ridiculous. And so Helen and I just, you know, thought, well, how about we just fly some cheese in to Australia? And if, you know, we love cheese and we should, I'm sure that we could find other people who like cheese and we'll make it like a little cheese club. Let's, you know, try and make a business. And that was seriously the extent of our market research on this business. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh, we like cheese. Other people like cheese. Who doesn't like cheese, right? Okay. Yeah, exactly. It's it's cheese. Yeah, and so we started. We launched four and a half years ago, and so for four years it was just Helen and I, you know, cutting cheese, wrapping cheese, packing cheese, sending cheese, you know, just eating cheese, you know, sort of every week, and just like it was just to us for four years, and then we hit twenty twenty, and our business has just completely transformed. But the link, I believe, between medical devices and my cheese therapy business is that something that I have really worked out is that I enjoy making people feel better. And that's what my medical device mm. company did. It made people feel better. And, you know, cheese, cheese makes everybody feel better. Yeah. So I really... I'm using very similar marketing techniques that I used back with my medical device company uh, as what I'm using with cheese therapy. So even though they seem completely different, right. to me, in my mind, they are extremely similar. Interesting. So the per your core purpose is the same. You want to make people feel better. Yeah, exactly. You're expressing it through a different product. and But no, that makes total sense. I, I, I mean, I, I always say the product's the widget, you know, like the widget's the widget. and if you're doing it for the same reason or if you're, you know, if the product gives us the same feeling, then, you know, obviously it's a little different, but no, I, that to makes total sense. Yeah. yeah. Cool. <laughs> so let me ask you a, a cheese question. Um, yes. So what's your favorite cheese? Man, the question I get asked every week, my favorite cheese is the one that I'm eating right now. To be honest, cheese for me is a lot, you know, it's, I don't, particularly look at it from the perspective of, you know, sort of that's a nice camembert or something like that. I'm in a fortunate position where I know the cheesemakers. I know their backstory. I know what goes into making these cheeses. And exploring new cheeses with our makers, uh, you know, understanding how, you know, they might have had some hardships in making this particular style and then tasting 
that that came through. The flavours of cheese change throughout the year. You know, you've got your autumn milks, your spring milks. Uh, you know, we might have a drought here in Australia, which changes the cheeses as well. So, um, but also the people that I'm sharing the cheese with. So it's not so much about the flavours of the cheese that I'm eating right now. It's about that entire experience of, you know, the stories and the people that I get to share it with. That's so cool. Are the makers all Australian or do you guys do stuff from like all over the world? Where where you get? Yeah. um, Yeah, we do all over the world. So we, uh, you know, at the moment, we're about 95% Australian cheeses. And that's because we've been struggling this year to bring in a lot of the Australian, uh, the international cheeses. Yeah, but, you know, so we've got some some pretty cool US ones coming up later in the year. We've, I've got one particularly for uh, for Christmas, which is a US cheese. Because yeah. um, the US has a pretty cool cheese scene like Australia does. Yeah, uh, yeah. Australia and the US have, are pretty much like new world cheeses, just the same as wine. You know, Australia and the US, when it comes to cheese and wine, aren't, constrained by the rules that Europe has placed on them. Right. And so our cheesemakers get to um, get to really try new things. You know, and the cheese out of the US, I love this one. I do it every year. It's called Barely Buzzed by Beehive. Barely Buzzed. It's a hard cheese, like a cheddar, um, okay. but it's coated in uh, lavender oil and coffee grounds. What? And it makes this thing. It sounds so bloody bizarre and revolting, but it's, it's more like caramel and butterscotch. It is freaking amazing. Oh, um, yeah, and it's it's because uh, there's no rules applied to uh, the cheese making in Australia and the US. It's awesome. Yeah, so my my wife used to work for these cheesemakers in Northern California, uh, Cowgirl Creamery. You know that? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, she worked for Cowgirl Creamery, and she'd come home and bring these like, and then she was like, oh, cheese. She's like sitting there like working in the factory making their cheese but i used to get like red hawk and their stilton and all this stuff right she oh, brings nice. crazy things and yeah it was in point reyes in northern california there's a really cool cheese scene up there and i'm with you man like oh god you're making me hungry for cheese right now shout out to clarity for supporting this episode and providing us with the samples hey there friends it's darius from Shazda here and i have a little confession to make you see i've been battling allergies for years now and let me tell you They've been a real ordeal in my life. Allergies have been my constant companion. They stopped me from fully enjoying the little things in life, canceling plans with friends because of sudden allergy attack to missing out on an outdoor activity because of the sneezing fits. Allergies have been a real nuisance. Luckily, for those of us who live with symptoms of allergies, we can live Claritin clear with Claritin D. This double action combination of prescription strength allergy medicine and the best decongestant available relieves sneezing and a runny nose itchy, watery eyes, an itchy nose and throat, and sinus congestion and pressure with ease. I've been a Claritin D user for many, many years now, and let me tell you, it's made a world of difference. Since I started using Claritin D, my symptoms have improved dramatically. Now, I can breathe easier, enjoy outdoor activities without worrying about sneezing fits, and truly live my life without being held back by allergies. Ready to live as if you don't have allergies, it's time to live Claritin Clear. Fast and powerful relief is just a quick trip away. Find Claritin D at the pharmacy counter. Ask for Claritin D at your local pharmacy counter now. You don't even need a prescription. Go to ClaritinD.com right now for a discount so you can live Claritin Clear uses directed. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. In the world of successful partnerships, names like Procter & Gamble, Ben & Jerry, and supply and demand echo through business history. But when it comes to growing your business, who are the perfect partners? That's you and Shopify. 
Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. We're talking from launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way to the, did we hit a million dollar order stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling shipping supplies or promoting productivity programs, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. From their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system, wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms. And sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Picture this, a time when my business was facing a tough hurdle and I wasn't sure how to break through. But then came the breakthrough moment, a game changer that took my business to the next level. You know, what I absolutely adore about Shopify is its unparalleled ability to adapt and grow with your ambitions. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. And Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklyn, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 75 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash Darius, all lowercase. That's D-A-R-I-U-S. Go to shopify.com slash Darius now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash Darius. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. We had a question come in right now. How do autumn milks and spring milks taste different? Yeah, so the, the spring milks are quite... Uh, I guess more than, you know, just think, you know, spring, sort of all the grasses coming to life. There's a lot more moisture in it. Um, they're not as dense in nutrients as what the autumn grass will be. So in autumn, the, those grasses are really starting to dry off and they're really nutrient dense. So we get a much thicker, creamier milk coming from those autumn milks, just so much more flavor in, in autumn. But also, you know, if we look at something like uh, sort of sheep's milk, goat's milk, spring is just absolutely spot on for those kinds of animals mm. because, you know, we're in lambing season, everything just comes alive. So we get a sort of a, a richer flavour out of uh, an autumn milk, but in a spring milk, it's, it's more lively. You know, sort of, you know what spring's like, man. Like all the flowers come out, everything's green. It's just a beautiful time of year. And it's also the same, you know, that's sort of reflected in the cheese. Yeah, so it's cool to be able to sort of see these differences in the milks and the flavors. Oh, it's so cool. My, um, so I grew up, my dad's Persian, right? And so I grew up, my dad always had feta. And he'd get mm -hmm. like Bulgarian feta and French feta. And like these, you know, and the Bulgarian's very, like has more of a sour, you know, it's a little stronger. And um, when I was a kid and I would see it brine. So he'd have it in this like, big brine. And I always looked at him like, that looks so disgusting. I remember being a kid thinking, that looks disgusting, right? And then something happened. I think I was, and my dad would make his own yogurt, like homemade yogurt. So he was, you know, just like old school Persian guy making like Greek yogurt for himself. Because you couldn't buy this 25 years ago. It was hard to find. 
But I remember watching him eat the feta and it had a strong smell. And I remember being a kid and being like, that looks gross. Now, I don't know what happened. I was 21 or something. And he ate it for breakfast. Because in like Mediterranean culture, they'll have, you know, like some lavash with some feta, maybe a little bit of eggs. And so when I was, I guess, yeah, like 21, something, I got like the feta bug and I started eating it. That's actually one of my favorite cheeses. Do you guys have some good feta down in Australia? Yeah, I think sort of feta has particularly changed away from the crumbly dry fetters that right. you know, sort of we tend to know. It's more of a soft curd. Instead of being in a brine now, the soft curd is in maybe, a, say, like a lemon-infused olive oil or something like that, right. you know, or some garlic, and really change the texture as well. So having a nice sort of smooth smoothness in the mouth, you know, perfect on salads, and but even just, you know, sort of as a bruschetta. Yeah, oh, gosh. You <laughs> kill me. Right? I mean, you are really making me hungry. <laughs> it's, dinner, it's dinner time where I'm at. And we're talking about <laughs> amazing cheeses. So I want to switch gears here. So you, you guys started the business four and a half years ago. You got it off the ground. It's doing really well now. And, and about probably right after you started the business, somehow you decided, oh, man, I'm doing all this cheese stuff. Maybe I should swim across the English Channel. <laughs> Fuck it. Like, like, how did that come to be? Because were you, dude, I was blown away to see that this is something you were trying to do. And by the way, so this is for all you watching the show right now. This is how you figure out your friends trying to swim the English Channel. You're watching on Facebook and you're seeing that they're going and putting themselves in ice baths and coolers and stuff. And you're like, what the fuck is that guy? Do-? Like, that's a question <laughs> that goes in your head. It goes, what the fuck is that guy doing? <laughs> and then you start reading the comments and you figure out he's training to swim across the English Channel. And I was like, no way. That's crazy. So let me ask you a question. Were you a competitive swimmer before you did this, or was this just like this thing you decided? Yeah, I swam as a kid, you know, sort of like, you know, sort of most sports as a kid, you sort of finish at the end of high school. Uh, but I took up swimming about six years ago as rehab for my back. You know, after years of cycling, I, you know, my back was ruined. So I just had to, I had to do something. So took up swimming. Um, what I love, uh, is like 50 meters, 100 meters sprints, you know, freestyle and butterfly. That's my thing. Um, Short, sharp sprint stuff. So I thought, let's swim the English Channel because there is obviously a natural progression between a 50 meter sprint and a 21 mile um, ultra marathon swim. Yeah, (laughs) in the United States, they say potato, potato. It's the same. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. You, You can see like sort of, so, um, and so basically, I've always had this fascination with just trying to do new things, you know, stuff that people just go, you know, you can't do that. If someone says you can't do that, it's like a red flag and I'm just going, yeah, I'm going to give it a go. Uh, and, and so I, I, here in Australia, we had a couple of really famous swimmers back in the 80s, I think it was. So, you know, as part of my childhood, I knew a couple of these big names of the English Channel. And then, you know, the beauty of YouTube, I started hopping on, watching everybody who had, you know, sort of put a YouTube video up, seeing their experience of it. And, and I just thought, you know, I actually want to try that. I want to see what it feels like to not just swim the English Channel, but to prepare for something like right, this. Right, Because I just thought, you know, sort of, I can change and adapt to anything pretty much. 
And so I just thought, yeah, I'm going to give this a go. So I got a coach. Um, uh, my coach actually holds the record for the English Channel. And, you know, he only lives about an hour from me, which was absolutely spot on brilliant. Um, I live at the ocean here on the Sunshine Coast. So I've got the perfect place to, to train. But, yeah, sort of swimming more than one kilometre was ridiculous. Uh, so that's where I just decided, yeah, let's give it a go. I was really fit for 50 metres, 100 metres swimming. Um, and, yeah, so I just thought, all right, I'm just going to give this a go. I went and did my first cold water camp down in Melbourne. So the water was about 16 degrees. And for the English Channel, you need to do a qualifier swim, um, which is six hours in less than, I think, 15 or 16 degree water. Okay. But, you know, I lasted about four hours. I was so cold, but I didn't have to, you know, my English Channel was another 18 months away or so, 15 months away. But about a week after that, uh, my coach called me up and said, Sam, there's a spot that's come up in three months' time. We reckon you're fit for it. So my 18-month prep became three months. And, yeah, Whoa. three – I know. And then three months of transition from 50-metre swimmer into a 21-miler. Wait, 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 wait. So you did the qualifying swim, but you didn't qualify. And then I did. I had to then go to Sydney uh, to do another qualifier, which was even colder. Um, but in be- sort of knowing that I had had three months to acclimatise to cold water, uh, yeah, then I just started doing anything that I could to be cold. You know, winter, wow. I just, you know, I was shorts and T-shirt everywhere. There's a cold pool uh, at our National Cricket Centre near me, which was at about... 11, 12 degrees. So I'd sit in that for an hour or so. Uh, yeah. So it was, man, but it was just one of the best experiences of my life going through that in, immense transition and then swimming the English Channel. It, when you have prepared spot on, and I did, I prepared absolutely spot on, did everything my coach said, my nutritionist said, uh, I listened to my crew on the boat and did exactly what they needed me to do. It was almost like a victory lap. It was it was great, and I really enjoyed the day. Stood there up on the at the base of a cliff at France. Yeah, just just stunned by what I had done, but just so happy. It was it was amazing. Just I thought it'd be a once in a lifetime experience, but uh, yeah, I've done some cool stuff since. It's been great. I gotta stop you, and I want to rewind for a minute because I thought you met three months for the next qualifying swim. You just said you went to Sydney for the qualifying swim, and then 12 weeks later, or less than that, you're in the English Channel, and you're swimming 21 miles. I don't know how many kilometers that is. Like 34 k's, yeah. 34 kilometers, right? So, And just for – I'm not good at converting Celsius to Fahrenheit, but what is – I think the temperature is 64 degrees Fahrenheit for the English Channel. Is that about – Oh, I have no idea what it is in Fahrenheit. I'm going to bust out a calculator right now. Sorry, guys. We're in the middle of the show, but – we're going to go because our country is our idiots and we're on, on the metric system. We're going to do this the right way. Okay. Celsius to Fahrenheit. Sorry. I, I should have my team do this, but I'm going to do it. All right. <laughs> Celsius to Fahrenheit calculator. All right. Uh, <laughs> so you said that it was, it was uh, when you were training, you were training in what temperature? Uh, about 11, 12 degrees. Fuck. <laughs> 
So I don't know what that's in Fahrenheit. Okay, for everyone in the United States, that's 51.8 degrees Fahrenheit. So you're like 18, 19 degrees above freezing. And so that's free love. Let's say it's 12, 53.6. That's what you were training in? Is that right? Yeah. So that was when I was doing my cold water acclimatization for that first attempt. And it was it was fantastic. And so then I thought, well, you know, what next? I hate cold water. So then I came across this other thing called an ice mile. So work out what 3.9 degrees is on your calculator. Uh, it's 39 degrees. It's just there 7 degrees above freezing. You're almost in frozen ice. Yeah, yeah. So I did a, an ice mile, right? So the water was, what was that? Yeah, it's like uh, it's, it's 39 degrees Fahrenheit. 39 degrees. So the water was 39 degrees. The air temp was minus 2.2. So, you know, sort of that's probably about, you know, it's like 28 or so. Yeah, yeah. It's below freezing. Yeah, yeah. Um, no, it's, if, if, if it was raining, it'd be snowing. Snowing outside. It was snowing whilst I did my swim. <laughs> and all for the joy of, uh, because I hate cold water, I thought I'd give this a crack. Um, I hate this, so I'm going to do the hardest version of this thing I hate. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. And, um, <laughs> and the Sunshine Coast, right? So I'm in the middle of winter right now. It's probably going to be... 25 degrees Celsius, you know, which is a beautiful day. What's yeah. that in Fahrenheit? That's a beautiful day, 77. Yeah, yeah. yeah, exactly. So for me to acclimatize to water like this, I set up a chest freezer and had that uh, down at around, you know, sort of just above 32 degrees Fahrenheit. And I'd sit, I was able to work up to about half an hour of sitting in that. And yeah, that was, and I was doing that every second day because I knew that to be able to achieve this ice mile, you know, I really needed to focus and, and get this thing done. And I think sort of when I look back on a lot of the things that I do, there's certain things that I can control, like my, my fitness, my mental attitude, my, you know, cold water acclimatization. And so when I decide, yep, yeah, I'm going to do something, I'm going to do it. And for something like the ice mile, it is such a dangerous event that you just can't go into it half cocked. You know, you've got to get get into this thing. Yeah, and so it was like seriously hard. It took me an hour to stop shivering afterwards. I was in a car which was boiling hot. Like, you know, so we had the heaters in our van blaring full on afterwards. I'm just uncontrollably shaking. I was so tired after it from just the shaking afterwards. It was phenomenal. How yeah. long did it take to swim that the mile? 25 minutes. So yeah. 25. And so I guess there's there a boat so you don't freeze. I mean, you could die of hypothermia, I'm, assume, I'm assuming. That's your biggest risk. I mean, what happened? Yeah. But they're like making sure that you're not like passing out. I mean, like. Oh, yeah. So I, ha I had a guy in a kayak next to me. The first day, on the day before, I had to do like a 1K qualifier kind of thing. And during this thing, I had these three dizzy spells whilst I was out swimming. And it, it actually really scared me. I just thought, you know, looking up at this guy on an inflatable kayak, <laughs> I just looked at him. I just thought, if I passed out, I'm fucked. Like, there's no way. There's no way this guy was going to save me. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. There's no way. That guy's not diving into freezing cold water to save you. He's uh, like, ah, help, help. Yeah. And, um, and then that night, we were sort of 
we were staying in the same house and he proceeded to tell me how he saw two people die the year before doing it. Go, fuck, like, why are you telling me this the night before this swim? Yeah, so what's, I could, he, what's I, he trying to do? Like, oh, man, I don't know. I could not swim. I could not um, sleep that night. I was just petrified because I also had my kids there as well. I just thought, geez, you know, what if something did happen? But right before my swim, in like the three, four minutes before, I was in the car just warming up and getting a little bit psyched up for it, not feeling very confident though. All of a sudden the sun came out and then I reflected on all the, the actual hard work and training that I've done for this thing. Then all of a sudden the, uh, the whole process became more of a formality. It was unreal. It was such a great wow. thing to be part of. Yeah. Wow. I'm going to tell you a secret. You want to know a secret right now? Yeah. I don't know if you remember, I lost a bunch of weight since you last saw me. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I look different. And so once I had lost weight, I'm, I've always been a pretty active guy, but I was just, you know, I had this weight problem as I became an adult. And then I lost the weight and I was like, oh man, I'm going to go, you know, like I'm going to hit the gym hard because I always love going to the gym. So I got back into the gym and I'm lifting and I kind of got careless and I tore my, I've tore this rotator cuff in college. I was a wrestler in college. So I tore this rotator cuff lifting in college. And I always loved to lift. And then I tore two of my, like two of my tendons in my rotator cuff on this side. So this is like October, 2018. Now fast forward to March of 2020. I've been dealing with this fucking torn rotator cuff now for like 14 months. And I went and got an MRI and all this stuff. And the guy's like, dude, we're going to have to cut through a bunch of clean tissue to repair. I'm like, what's this? What the hell is the point of that? Like you're going to cut through healthy ligaments to repair a torn one and then repair the, the healthy ones. So it's probably going to put you in a worse position than you're in right now because it's so deep in your. And I said, well, I'm not going to do that. So what are my options? I said, well, you know, you probably just deal with physical therapy and see what you can do. So anyway, long story short, I do the physical therapy. It gets a little bit better, but it's still like it's bothering me. And it's actually now I'm like shoulder blade. And so COVID's here and I haven't worked out for a couple months because I was doing like some Pilates and stuff like that. And I got a pool. I built a pool. And I've never had a pool before. And I built the pool so it's 14 feet long and 30 feet or 14 feet wide, 34 feet long. It's like almost half the size of a 25 meter pool. And so it's, it's intentionally so I could swim in it. And I was like, well, I got this pool. Well, first of all, actually, I'll take that back. I went, now you're in Australia. You, you guys may not have had this problem, but here in shit show America, I went to go buy weights, but all the weights are sold out. Is that oh, no, Australia was like that too. Yeah. <laughs> weights and, and bloody toilet paper. Yeah. Fucking dumbbells and toilet paper and hand sanitizer. So <laughs> the, the trifecta. And so I was like, you gotta be fucking kidding me. Like everyone's on eBay selling them for like five times their normal price. So I was like, well, it looks like I can't buy dumbbells to work out. So then I'm like, hey, dummy, you got a pool in your backyard and it's like early spring. You could go in the pool and it's still March. And I was like, ah, too cold. I'm not doing that. So then by the beginning of May, I was like getting stir crazy. I've been in the house now for seven or eight weeks. I haven't worked out. I put on a couple of pounds and I'm like, fuck it. I'm going to swim. Dude, I've swam every single day now since March, since May 9th, with the exception of like one or two days. And on Saturdays, I do my distance swim. And this is just, it's 34 feet long, right? I'm up to almost two miles in the pool. Now I've never been a swimmer ever, but I go every day and I swim. So then I was like, man, I wonder if there's like a distance swim I can do. Like this, I've never been able to do endurance sports because I got short legs that are with flat feet, and bad knees. And so, <laughs> but I can swim for like a couple hours. I'll go in the pool for two hours and swim and like, fine. 
So I was like, man, I'm going to talk to Sam because I think I might want to try to swim the English Channel. I was so blown away by you doing it. I'm like, that's a really cool goal. Man, everything about it, like sort of it changes your entire lifestyle. It changes your focus. It's something that involves your family as well. And it is a huge feat to undertake, but it is just amazing. And the people who make it, you know, about maybe half the people make it, but the ones who don't make it are the ones who just haven't done the right prep. You know, you don't need to be a, you know, sort of a a swimmer all your life to swim the English Channel. You just need that pure grit and determination to, to get there. Are you guys enjoying the show so far? Darius here. And by now you might know that I'm passionate about a few things. Pizza, pink unicorns, core values, and down dirty, interesting conversation with some amazing people. However, the biggest one that I've spent most of my career on is entrepreneurship and scale. You see, look, my first few years in business, I spent like probably a good five years of my life getting my freaking teeth kicked. I mean, really getting crushed. And I learned a lot during that time period. So I spent the greater part of the last couple of years helping entrepreneurs scale their businesses in a meaningful way without going through the same growing pains that I did. And what I realized is that CEOs and business leaders don't know if they can scale and thus they do the right thing at the wrong times. This causes them to lose clarity, lose momentum, alignment, and the bottom line is you lose money. And look, you don't have to do that. It's why I created what I call the scalability assessment. And you can access it 100% for free. That's right, guys. There are perks to listening to The Greatness Machine. All you have to do is go to DariusScale.com. That's D-A-R-I-U-S scale, S-C-A-L-E.com. And there, you can check to see if your business is set up to scale properly. It's going to give you a scalability score at the end. And it's also going to give you some clarity on what you can do next. Once again, guys, that's www.itsdariusscale.com. Once again, guys, it's DariusScale.com. And now back to the show. So when you did it, you get in the water, it's cold, right? But you've been preparing for it. And I, if I recall correctly, you actually had to gain weight to do this. Is that Yes. So I've been to the English Channel twice now. So the first time was August 2018. That was in the middle of English summer. I... I had the absolute dream day. There was no wind. The water was glassy. The, the water temp was the hottest day of the entire year. The wow. air temp was, you know, one of the hottest days as well. I started in sunshine, finished in sunshine. I had the absolute dream English Channel run. It was unbelievable. And like nobody, nobody gets to start in sunshine, finish in sunshine. Nobody gets, you know, just these conditions. One thing my coach instilled into me is that you train for the worst conditions. And, right. you know, when there were massive storms off the coast here, I'd, I'd get out in the ocean for, you know, four or six hours at a time and just swim through crap, you know, utter crap slop conditions. But, yeah, sort of, and then, you know, you sort of train for the worst and hope for the best. And, man, I got even better than what we'd ever hoped for. It was so you, unreal. Wait, so you go out and maybe I don't want to swim the English Channel now. <laughs> when I said that, you're like, he doesn't even know what he's talking about. But I mean, it's, it's such an amazing thing to like, you know, just to try to fight for, right? So the way you train is you're like, I'm going to go to the ocean and swim in like choppy, fucked up storms, which that's, yeah. isn't that dangerous? That's pretty dangerous, right? Uh, it's, it's all as rough. dangerous as you sort of think it to be. How do you make it less dangerous? I guess. 
Yeah. Oh, yeah. You, you know, it's Australian Ocean. Sort of, we all know of Australian sharks and everything like that. Um, and that's oh. constantly in your mind. But you know, sort of, it's more dangerous, obviously, to cross the street than what it is to go swimming in the ocean. Yeah. But one of the great things that this taught me was to be able to shut my mind off. Uh, and so I could, you know, when you're driving on a long road and you just forget where the last 15 minutes went, yeah. um, I could do that for hours. So I'd be out swimming for, you know, sort of four hours, six hours or something like that. And just, you know, sort of every, I'd break my swim up into half hour slots and every, you know, sort of half hour would only feel like two or three minutes. It was brilliant. But um, the second time I went back, which was just December, December gone. Yeah, I remember. Yeah, this was this was uh, one of those things of yeah. I wonder if that's possible. I uh, I wanted to know if it was possible to swim the English Channel in winter because nobody in the world had ever attempted it. So I thought, fuck it, I'm going to give this a go. And so, yeah, I put in even more time in the chest freezer, more time in the cold. Yeah, and I think what it was was the latest day of the season ever. You would have been like the first person in the world to do this, right? Yeah, nobody had ever t- attempted to swim it in December. Yeah, nobody had ever ever tried it. I put in a lot of work for it, uh, and I had analysed a lot of the water data. I had eleven years of water data of the English Channel temps. So on the day that I swam, uh, which was the fourth of December, it should have been around twelve and a half degrees. Twelve and a half. I reckon I could have made that, but I landed in the middle of a cold snap. On the 1st of December, the water was 12 and a half. By the time I swam just three days later on the 4th, it had dropped down to 10 degrees Celsius. The air temp was only six. The guys on the boat were in ski jackets, ski pants, beanies, snow boots, and they were cold. Here I am in the the English Channel um, in just a pair of Speedos. It was dark as well. I started at like 4 a.m. I got about three and a half hours, about a third of the way across, and I just—I was starting to feel quite sick. I thought I was—I felt like I was starting to drown. I was getting a little bit disorientated, and just realised that hypothermia was starting to step in. And knew that I had about another eight hours of swimming to go, seven hours of swimming. I just knew that, like, you know, I could try and sort of break out to sort of five, six hours, or just cut it at three and a half. It was still going to be the same outcome. Yeah, but like, so let me ask you a question. So, like, you're in that situation. At what part were you like, I think I'm going to quit? Was it when you quit or was it before? Because when you have that thought, I think I'm going to quit, normally that's when you quit, right? Sometimes you could push through that, right? Oh, I went downhill really fast in the matter of 20 minutes. There was this really weird orange glow to the north, you know, sort of looking as if I was looking up to Russia kind of thing. And it was this orange glow. And I, I thought, it was like a nuclear explosion. Could not work out what on earth this thing was. And then after about 15, 20 minutes, all of a sudden, the sun popped up. And, and I just sort of, and I was completely thrown out by, and I was so disorientated. I couldn't work out why the sun's popping up in the north when it should have been, I would have thought, sort of further in the south. And it was that point where I started to feel quite sick and everything like that. And I just thought, you know, I thought of my kids and I thought, you know, I need to be sensible in what I'm doing here um, and I need to call it. And so that's when I called it. There was no, there really, on a swim like this, when you get to 
that kind of situation, you don't have the opportunity to fight through something. When hypothermia gets in, a lot of your, you know, sort of just your general body just starts to shut down. And um, right. yeah, you need to sort of think about your actual life. Why not? You know? Yeah, it's kind of important. I mean, for all you know, you could try doing it again, right? Yeah, and look, uh, certainly a question I get asked a lot, um, when am I doing it again? It's not going to be this year, I can tell you that, because really we're not flying anywhere. But uh, yeah, look, I would never say never. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Yeah, man. Wow. That's crazy. Because I watched that and I was like, wait, but you already did this swim. And then I realized that the challenge wasn't the swim. (laughs) It was that you were doing it in winter. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, And it was like, I was obviously, uh, I was disappointed when I sort of, I quit. But I got back to my apartment. My crew brought me back. And I spoke to Helen back in Australia and, you know, sort of, you know, a few tears, but then all of a sudden, all these messages from right around the world started to flood in. And I, I had thousands of messages from people around the world just saying how inspired they were. And it wasn't, you know, yeah, I quit. But what it was, was that I actually gave it a go. I went out there and put my balls on the line to try something that nobody had ever tried before. And um, yeah, you know, so I had all these photos of people you know all through the u.s in your winter there all these people sharing photos of their lake that um that they went for a swim in that morning because i was swimming in the english no it was unbelievable and um it really showed me that uh people respect someone who has a go a lot more than you know someone who just keeps winning and look the reality is like and i think also I don't know Australian culture well enough, but American culture is all about the underdog, man. It's all about like, like Rocky, the movie, you know, that's like American, like, like, dude, like the fact that you like, of course you didn't do it. It's fucking impossible what you did. But the fact that you tried means that you didn't give a shit that it was impossible. And that, that I think speaks to the much higher ideology of like, not giving a shit that it's impossible and giving a go at it to your point. So so impressive, man. I'm so proud to be your friend and to even like <laughs> know someone that like, it, I'm telling you, I, I was like, literally, I was like, you know, I really like swimming. I think I want to try to challenge myself. And I was like, how many people have swam the, the English channel? You know, because I knew you did it. And I would never have thought even consider. And, I, and look, I live in Texas now. So there's not a lot of good places to train here. So I'm landlocked. <laughs> but but even but even for it to even be a, a drop in my mind, it's because I, someone like you and i wonder how many people you've inspired man that's just so cool so impressive really. yeah like you know the english channel is the everest of of um you know the sport but it's something that a lot more people can attempt because it's swimming yes yeah, swimming is such a great sport but the thing as well is that once you're in that water it's up to you you know you haven't got sherpas to carry you across 
you've got to, you know, you've got to put in the effort for months and months and months. Yeah, you need to get your nutrition right and your fitness and your mental state right. Everything comes back to you, even though you do have a team on the boat. Yeah, if you have skipped, you know, one day and not done what your coach has told you to do, then it will show up. Whereas, you know, something like Everest, you pay the money, you can effectively get taken up there. So it's, um, I just love, I guess, the monument that is uh, the English Channel. What, let me ask magic you, in the water. Yeah, no, obviously. Let, can I ask you a question? Because I saw, like, when I started, I, I actually started researching this. I'm telling you, you motivated me. And I saw that there's, like, a thing called the seven straits, where, where, people, and that's, where people will swim these seven different straits. Have you considered, I know this is the, is that the toughest one or there's another one that's really tough too, but. I think the hardest uh, sort of ocean swim would be the North Channel from Ireland to Scotland or the other way. It's the same length as English Channel, but sort of more at around sort of 13, 14 degrees compared to 16, 18 degrees for English Channel. Yeah, seven oceans, it's not something that interests me at all because, you know, when you've done the English Channel, it is like the Everest, you know, sort of. Why go and try something a little bit lesser? But I think that that's why I wanted to go back and try the English Channel again in winter because, you know, sort of it, it is like, you know, trying to climb Everest in winter. Um, yeah. Everybody thinks it's possible and at this stage it still is. But I reckon that uh, it's one of those things that one day someone's going to crack. Yeah, and I, I hope it's, hope it's going to be me. Yeah, man, you're like the Jesse Owens of English Channel swimming, just like... <laughs> <laughs> four, four, four minute mile or <laughs> whatever. So look, we're, we're heading towards the end of the show here, but I have a question for you for, that's selfish, my own selfish question. But before we go there, right, we got COVID, your business is crazy. You haven't been able to swim because of that. But I, I can't imagine that a person like you doesn't have some semblance of an idea of what the next challenge is. Like, what are you throwing around? Yeah, uh, well, I was going to do a run from uh, in Tasmania uh, from Launceston to Hobart. So that's around, that was going to be around 200 miles. And that was for a charity that I'm an ambassador for called Just Like Jack. Yeah, so I was, I was really pumped about that one, but uh, that was meant to be October, but that just got called off. Yeah, so th- at this stage, um, my sort of, Long marathon stuff is my cheese business at the moment. What we do, um, you know, like what month are we in? August? Yeah. Um, Our August is about three times our revenue of all of 2019. Wow. So we've had, yeah, man, we've had like a, what, a 36-fold increase in our business. Um, Wow. And so as you can imagine, sort of all the growing pains that go with that, Mm -hmm. and it's just, you know, sort of 5 a.m. to 10 p.m. days. So. This at the moment is my endurance event, <laughs> um, but it's just, you know, sort of whilst we've got this opportunity, we're just going as hard as we possibly can. And I think that um, if it wasn't for the stuff that I've done, you know, English Channel and Ice Miles and those kinds of things, I think that that really taught me a huge amount about focus and belief in my own abilities, which has, you know, sort of allowed me just to go, super hard you know we're trying new things stuff you know we're we have changed the cheese scene here in australia you know we would be the largest retailer of cheese in the country now behind the two supermarkets so in terms of artisan cheese we're the largest um 
back in February, it was only two of us. Now there's about 25 of us. Oh, wow. Um, oh, man, it's just crazy. So, But the focus that I've learned and that self-belief is just one of the greatest gifts that the English Channel has given me. Oh, wow, man. I love it. So I think you might know, I just wrote a book. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What you probably don't know is that the book originated from our experience at MIT together. That's actually our last night at MIT with this thing happened that we did as a group that was like this seed got planted that turned into my, I became obsessed with core values because of what happened in that group on that night and, uh, and turned into a book. And so the book's all about how do you, how do you essentially turn the core values into the, an immersive language for your organization or for your life? You go, it's, it's specific for business, but you can apply it to any organization, and including a family or, your, or yourself. And so my question for you is, I'm assuming you guys have your core values for the cheese business. Is that, do you, have you guys done that? Oh, look, I think we talk about our core values every day, but I haven't got them written down on a, on a sheet of paper or a board. You know what they are. Yeah. So, what I was going to ask you is, you know, when you think of your life and you think of your, your, the business you're doing right now, you think of these, what core value do you think is really, you know, it's really the core value that kind of resonates with these different things that you're doing that kind of are these great things that, that make you feel like you're alive? Oh, I think so. The greatest thing is to always have a go. You know, that's what we do right through cheese therapy. You know, we're trying new things, but just, thinking we're not constrained by the rules. All of my sort of sporting endeavours, I'm always, you know, constantly trying new things. And I think, you know, we're never afraid to, never afraid to fail. Like we stuff up quite a lot, but man, we learn from it. Yeah. So I think sort of it's, that is definitely sort of right up there in terms of our core values. But also we understand the privileged situation that we're in to help so many people. And that is our biggest daily driver, just helping people. You know, we've, because of the work that we've done this year, we've kept about sort of five, 600 people in their jobs. We've kept about 20 cheesemakers afloat. Then they were all facing financial ruin when COVID hit and also our bushfires earlier in the year. Right. right. Uh, you know, all of our dairy farmers are, you know, in a very similar situation. So, We've just by being able to help so many people, that's what gets us up every single morning, just being able to make a difference with the work and the effort that we do. Oh, man, I love it. Brother, Sam, so much gratitude, man. Thank you for coming <laughs> on here, man. It was the, this was really fun and it was very cool to hear your story. And, and I, I wish you guys all the best of luck with the business. And, and um, dude, just keep doing what you're doing, man. It's so fun to watch you from the outside. Awesome. Thanks a lot, Darius. All right, guys. Well, listen, yo, I always forget. Where can people find you guys? Obviously, you guys, are you guys just shipping in Australia? Are you guys shipping elsewhere? I mean, obviously, with COVID, it might be different now, but what's going on? Where can people follow you? Where can they find you? Yeah, look, um, jump on Facebook, Cheese Therapy on Instagram and Facebook, and you never know, we might be in the US shortly. Ah, uh, okay. And then what about if they want to follow your adventures in the, with Extreme <laughs> Swimming? Yeah, uh, Facebook. My Facebook page is Sam Penny, middle-aged bloke, but can swim good. (laughs) (laughs) You guys, you heard it it here. Uh, (laughs) I love that. 
Follow us at the Real Darius M on Facebook. That's where all this live stuff originates from. You can subscribe at the YouTube channel. Our channel is The Real Darius, or go to my website, therealdarius.com, and you can subscribe, sign up for our newsletters, gets all the updates, and we'll be following up, sending out some information about these talks, updates, clips, all that good stuff. So thank you so much. We'll see you guys later. You are listening to The Greatness Machine, and that's a wrap for today. Guys, The Greatness Machine is all about two things. People who are living their passions and those who are creating greatness in the world. And we feature these messages and speakers so it can help you step into your greatness within your own life and your own business. If you love what you heard, subscribe to the show on whatever podcast platform you're tuning in from and leave us a review. We love getting reviews for the show. If the episode made you think of someone who is leveling up in their business and life, print screen it, share it with them. Leaders are the best givers. And after all, we're all here to learn from one another. You can also go to our website, www.thegreatnessmachine.com. That's www.thegreatnessmachine.com. And on there, you'll see special tools to help you scale your business faster, show notes for the episode to help you integrate the lessons, and you will also get links that came out during the show. So on there, look, you can also grab a copy of my book, The Core Value Equation, which is a resource for helping CEOs and business leaders establish core values from their teams that don't suck. And mind you, a lot of them suck. Get access to this and more at www.thegreatnessmachine.com. With that said, you guys, look, thank you so much. I appreciate you. I love you. Peace. We out of here. See you guys next time. This episode is brought to you by the Yap Media Podcast Network. I'm Hala Taha, CEO of the award-winning digital media empire, Yap Media, and host of Yap Young and Profiting Podcast, a number one entrepreneurship and self-improvement podcast where you can listen, learn, and profit. On Young and Profiting Podcast, I interview the brightest minds in the world and I turn their wisdom into actionable advice that you can use in your daily life. Each week, we dive into a new topic like the art of side hustles, how to level up your influence and persuasion, and goal setting. I interview A-list guests on Young and Profiting. I've got the best guests, like the world's number one negotiation expert, Chris Voss, Shark, Damon John, serial entrepreneurs, Alex and Layla Hermosi, and even movie stars like Matthew McConaughey. There's absolutely no fluff on my podcast, and that's on purpose. Every episode is jam-packed with advice that's gonna push your life forward. I do my research, I get straight to the point, and I take things really seriously, which is why I'm known as the podcast princess and how I became one of the top podcasters in the world in less than five years. Young and Profiting Podcast is for all ages. Don't let the name fool you. It's an advanced show. As long as you want to learn and level up, you will be forever young. So join Podcast Royalty and subscribe to Young and Profiting Podcast or Yap, like it's often called by my Yap fam on Apple, Spotify, CastBox, or wherever you listen to your podcasts.